All right, we are still in John chapter 4. And we have been introduced to a lady. We don't know her name, but Jesus knew all about her. Yeah. Now, I don't know about Samaritan culture and if she actually took the name of all five of those guys as she went through the one husband after the other. It doesn't say if they all died or if they left her or if she left them or how that works, but uh, but she'd had five husbands. Obviously a shameful thing. And she had given up on the marriage thing. There's a lot of that going around today. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of that change of partner stuff. Yeah. Pretty sad. And, uh, but I expect that, and it, it doesn't tell us what she, what she did after she believed on Jesus. I mean, I, you know, you could guess, but. I know enough about Christians to know that Christians can do anything lost people can do except go to hell. That's about it. She not only believed that he is the Messiah, she went straight back to, the, to town and started telling the men of the town. That's a little unusual. The woman then, this is verse 28, left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men. Now, I'm going to give a benefit of the, any doubt there may be about her character in this point because where are the men in a city in Samaria in the time of Christ? They're, they're gathered at the gate. That's where all the gossip takes place. That's where the, everything takes place in the gate. All the decisions, town council, everything is at the gate. I'm going to believe that the minute she got to the gate, she said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? That's how I see it in my mind is it happening. Okay, all right, and uh, the disciples came back. They had been buying some food, and says in the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, "Master, eat." But he said unto them, "I have meat to eat that you know not of." And they thought, matter of fact, they said one to the other, "Has anyone brought him something to eat?" They did not have their mind on spiritual things, did they? No. Mm -hmm. no. And we often uh, get to dealing with food and shelter and clothes and all kinds of things, and our, our minds are not on spiritual things. My mind was on getting her car fixed, and God said, uh, I got something else for you to handle here for this. Jerry? In the, in the apostles' defense, they had just gone to the store. Yeah. That's where their mind was. Yeah, they'd just gone to the store. And when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, what did they bring back to eat? They didn't have a Bucky's. <laughs> they, there was no 7-Eleven. 
There, there was no Kroger. Maybe there was no market in the next There's, town. There was no Jack in the Box. Had there been ingredients to cook? Bread and fish. Probably. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. How do you feel about that? Jesus took that whole responsibility onto himself to finish what he was sent to do. Every member of this church is called to work. Yeah. We are. What was Jesus trying to tell them when he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me? What, what was he actually saying? He wasn't saying this is this is how I'm going to be fed. This is my nourishment. This is well, what's he trying to say, Gary? He said this is what I was sent here to do. Okay. What I'm going to do. Yeah. I thought that's, I where spiritual food. that's where he gets his fulfillment from doing the work of the Lord. Okay. My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. My have you ever heard somebody express that, that their necessary food in life is something besides food? Yes. This might be where that comes from. As he says to finish his work, and immediately, you know, we see a verse stop and another verse start, and so we're thinking, okay, that part's over, now they're going to talk about this part. and. Uh, no, it was, a non, it was a continual conversation. He said, Say ye not there are four months, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now, we already talked about uh, the men are at this point in the scenario that we're do you play a video in your head sometimes about these things? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you, I'm not alone. Do you, okay, you're not by yourself. Okay, we do think in pictures. So we've got these guys coming out, and I don't know if they all had white turbans on and they looked like a, a field of something. I, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, they're coming out, and the Lord says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Uh, in my video, Jesus is pointing. I don't know if he was really pointing or not, but in my video he is. He's pointing to all these people, all these sinners coming out that need him. And he's still got this tape rolling. This conversation's still going on. And he says, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to sow whereon, or to reap whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you were entered in unto their labor. Oh, that's cool. It is cool. So the seeds you have occurred. Yeah. Every, every person that I have ever led to Christ, and it's been a few, always has a past filled with stories that's brought them to the table today. And sometimes they're amazing. 
but they always involve others that they've come in contact with. Yeah. The drawing process, that's what we call it because that's what it's called in Scripture. No man comes to me except my Father draw them, Jesus said. That drawing process involves many different kinds of spiritual experiences. And those spiritual experiences amount to what Jesus is talking about here as sowing, someone's sowing. I would like to get you to participate in this lesson today and sh share some of the things that went on before you came to Christ that influenced you, that changed you, that pointed you in a different direction that made a difference. Lisa? I got saved when I was 33, so I had a lot of blind people then. Um, and um, so I was working at Friendswood and Sagemont Hardware, and I was doing all the, we used to have to cut out little pictures and tape them on paper to send them to the Chronicle to make the ads for the weekends, and anyway, I did all that. And um, I had been moved over to Sagemont because they had new offices that were nice. And a lady named Betty was the other office person, and she was a member at Sagemont. And she was just older, she was gentle, soft-spoken. Um, I smoked like a chimney and used terrible language, and I was real cocky and just... You? <laughs> Weird. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, me. Cigarette hanging out on my mouth. Yeah, it was bad. Um, but I didn't know it was bad. I mean, it was just, you know, I was in the world, and um, we had a break room, and every week I'd go in there, and there'd be a different tract on the table. She never said a word to me, but I read all the time. If I'm at a table eating by myself and there's nothing to read, I will read the cereal box. That's just what I do. It's what my brain does. And I read every piece of those tracks every day. And um, her behavior toward me um, was just love and acceptance. And I had never really had that. It was always, you know, you didn't, you, you know, you could have done that better, go back and do that again over and over and over my whole life and um, she was just like well that's great and you do good work and just uh, encouraging me we had a um, was it friend day about 10 15 years ago we had um, and we invited people who had had a part in God bringing us to himself yeah. and she came and it was uh, <clears throat> not a broader she's older and uh, but she had a huge impact on me without ever saying the name of Jesus. Ever. She Which, said it with his tracks. Huh? She said it with the tracks. Well, Brother Cecil keeps that table full of tracks back there for us to say it to other people. Like, you can go put those in the green beans at Kroger. My kids and I used to do that all the time. We just take the tracks. When we were at Berean and you were out training people to do basic Bible truth classes and the kids and I would go over to the grocery store and just put tracks everywhere in the store. Tracks in the I don't remember who it was, but we used to have one of the ladies that would take them and put them in clothes at Walmart, remember? Mm -hmm. She told us a long time ago. 
Yeah, that's cool. Should just go put them in the pockets and close them. We can do a lot of things without actually confronting people that make a difference. Amen. Amen. Clarissa, go ahead. What's uh, your story? Mine was my, that comes to mind right now. There's a lot that led me to Christ, but uh, my grandmother, uh, I wrote a song when she died about before I knew the Lord, I knew you. And um, she was, she was like Christ. And uh, she had her attitude and the way she treated me was the way Christ loved me. Like she always just, she just saw me through his eyes. She was Amen. just a. Cry baby. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jerry, go ahead. Well, at the end of the day, it, it came to be that I was acting the truth. And the Lord put it on me and I, you know, I had been a, I've been a sciencey guy and I believed in evolution. I didn't believe it as a religion, but I didn't disbelieve it, you know. And the Lord put it on my heart and said, where'd you come from? Come up out of the slime? Did I make it? Which one is it? Give me your answer. And that's, that's really what, that's really what the real thing that really drove me to it. He said, you look like you come up out of slime, but I don't think that's what it is. So I had to, well, the Lord knows that's how you talk to him. Yeah. And, that, and so I had to, you know, and that, that was really what started it right there. And then once, once I determined that I was created, I did not come up out of slime. I, the, my next thought was, the salvation thing might be important. My parents separated when I was in the eighth grade and my dad moved out and my mom kind of went nuts. She was always had some mental issues but then she just she stopped being the immaculate housekeeper. She stopped getting dressed. She stopped showering. I'd come home and Sometimes she'd be just still in her, her caftan, if y'all knew what that was. It was a long, one-piece robe thing with a built-in belt, and she would still be wearing that in, uh, with her pajamas underneath. And she's sitting at the end of the bed crying. So another time I'd come home, and everything in the house glass would be broken in one particular room, and the room just completely destroyed. And then she, this one particular time, she, my niece was there, and she was seven years younger than me, and she went after both of us, and I ran, and I ran to, the neighbor's house on the next block who were longtime family friends and she realized how things were crazy at my house and she began talking to the Lord about me. She gave me my first Bible. It was a living Bible, but it was really good because I didn't understand King James at that time and all the these and the thous was very confusing to me and it broke it down for me and she ministered to me and and I had that Bible, I kept it and had pretty much the whole thing highlighted until it finally fell apart when I was in my 20s. And I just, her name was Billy Basir, and I just really, really appreciate Billy Basir. Billy. And I really appreciated the way that she was there for me. She just, she prayed for me, and, and in giving me that Bible, she opened the door to salvation for me. Amen. And Josh? I was a little more stubborn, hard-headed, and did, did whatever I wanted when I wanted. And uh, for it, the Lord beat me in the head, and there wasn't much left. And uh, so I had to change everything to uh, to make a different style of living, which had to change the way I acted. And uh, through that change, I guess I was acting more godly, maybe. I'm not cussing as much, things like that, I'm not sure. But whatever it was, people started, when I moved in here, people started back at church. Just out of nowhere, I was like every other day I had a customer invite me to their church, invite me to their church, invite me to their church. 
and I moved here behind this one, and I moved behind this one. I didn't even know this church was here when I moved here, that house. Didn't even see it. Kept getting invited, kept getting invited. I was like, you know what? Fine, fine. <laughs> there I am. <laughs> it's amazing is the stories. Liz, go ahead. Um, so for me, the the seed was planted when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but then, then I went away and uh, lived a life very far from God. Um, trying to, I think, fill a hole um, that was in me that you could. Yeah. The world can't fill that. Amen. Um, so yeah, finally after years of living that way, he showed me <laughs> Amen. he was the one to fill that hole. Amen. A God-shaped void in you that only he can fill. I've heard it described that way before. One of the things that is a little unusual about other men labored and you're entered into their labors. One of the things that the Lord does sometimes, he doesn't always do it where we can see it, there is a, a war going on between the forces of good, God and angels and the forces of darkness. And the Lord and Satan are at odds with each other. Satan is still a servant whether he likes it or not and he doesn't like it at all that's pretty evident but Satan comes with all his subtlety and with all his message and once in a while the Lord it's like there's good and evil and the, the fight the battle starting and the, the evil one has a weapon the good guy takes the weapon out of his hands and uses it on him. The Lord likes to do that. He did it with Job. The very the most horrible thing Satan could do to Job, God used that very same thing to bless Job double in the final outcome. And God kind of did that with me. I was taken to the Pentecostal church while I was a kid. Again and again and again and again. And I saw it and I listened to it. And every time I went, I was more and more convinced that there is no hope for me. None. There's no way on the planet I can do what you're telling me. So I'm going to hell. And I believed that. I, I was totally convinced. <clears throat> and that <clears throat> that is the spiritual experience that caused me to end up uh, through a lot of other situations to end up finally visiting a Baptist church where all they talked about was the blood. At least that's all I heard. 
and he showed up on my doorstep and I said, sure, come on in. I'm a fully trained sales representative with Metropolitan Life. I can sit down and talk to anybody and hold my own in any conversation. So I thought. <laughs> and he opened that book and showed me that the whole point was that I was right. There was no way I could live it. There was no way I could do anything. There was no hope for me at all. And that's a whole, the whole reason Jesus died was because of that. And man, when I saw that, I must have stayed lost about 30 seconds, maybe, before I put my trust in Christ that night. But it was the evil. It was the, the lie that God used to reach out and touch me. Isn't that amazing? Jerry? That's, that's a, a very similar, well, same thing really just happened to me in my, in my youth. You know, when I went to the, the Hellfire and Damnation of Southern Baptist and they were teaching me that I had to live it. Once I got old enough to understand that they're teaching me I had to live it, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to live this. I'm wasting my time here. And that's when I left the church. Yeah. I said, I'm not going to be able to do that. No, no hope for me. No, no hope for me. And you know, it really kind of comes down like that to everybody. You really, have to, you really have to come to realize that there's nothing you can do about it. You can't, you can't change it no matter what you do. You are helpless, hopeless, and, and stuck. Nothing you can do. And, and you, really have to, you really have to come to that. If you remember when I walked in the door here, one of the first things I asked you, I said, Hey, Pastor, if, I'm, if you're going to tell me I'm going to have to live it, tell me right now and I'm going to leave and not waste our time. Now, you were in the right place. Took a while to get there, but you were in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad that I chose this for our discussion today. This is priceless stuff. I just want to say, never underestimate your influence on those around you. Yeah. Like, the way that they see the Lord through you yeah. can bring, be that seed that plants and within them that can bring them to Christ. Yeah. One thing you need to remember, and that is that salvation is of the Lord. Jonah figured that out. Yep. He did. And he told us that. Just, just that way. Salvation is of the Lord. And there is an idea that is spread forth in good churches that your life is going to make the difference. What people see in your life is going to make the difference in somebody else's life. And, and to an extent, that's true. However, you can't live godly enough to be the difference. But praising Him... And not being ashamed of him will make enough difference that the Lord can take it and use it. Camilla, go ahead. Well, talking about people that influence you, I had a grandmother that um, influenced me, and she died when I was five years old. So you say, well, how could she have influenced you very much? But all my life, I. My mother took me to church just when I was tiny, all the way 
Yeah. And she, I would ask, come home maybe from Sunday school and ask my mother a question about something they'd said in Sunday school, and she'd say, oh, I wish your grandmother was here. She was so good at explaining all that stuff, and I'm just not good at it. And But I would always hear how, what a godly woman she was, how she, she started a Sunday school class out in the country in her house, and it grew into a church. And she was just, I just, after she died, I mean, it was just somebody I idolized as my wonderful grandmother that was, and wished I could be like her, you know. I, Amen. That was just the person that influenced me the most in my Amen. life. Amen. Lisa. Um, <clears throat> I think if, if you've been in other churches um, or listened to certain pastors on the radio or on television, then you might carry a lot of guilt if someone you love is not saved yet because maybe you're not telling them enough times or maybe you're not asking the right question or maybe you should be like reading the Bible with them or something like that. But salvation is of the Lord. And when he draws that person to himself, if they respond to that, um, to that, that position of salvation or staying lost, that, that is when they get saved, not... I guess what I'm trying to say is stop feeling guilty about somebody you care about being lost because it's not your fault they're lost. Let go of the, of the guilt of thinking that it's because you didn't do something that you should have done. Yeah. And I think a lot of people carry that. Bob and then Gilbert. You got a minute each. Go ahead, Bob. I had that problem. I had that issue. You know, it was, it was, I wasn't doing enough. Uh, and the reality is, that's that's, I would say, a tactic from Satan. The the thing of it is, I put myself in the place of a waiter. Uh, I come to the table. I take your order. I ask you if you want ketchup or mustard or both. Uh, you make decisions. Uh, when I talk to people about God, I ask them, are you saved? Do you want to get saved? You know, simple questions. They don't want to talk. They've already given me the answer. I don't have to, to labor on that and say, oh, I want you. You know, and I've had other people do that. You know, yeah. and I've watched them do it. And, and I, I find it offensive. But uh, for me, it's like I give them the opportunity that I got. If they choose to pursue it, then I give them as much information as they're willing to take. Yeah. And uh, I do, you know, I've, I've talked to people on the telephone and, you know, we had a good conversation. We went to church right there. And I asked her, did she go to church? And she said, no. But she watches TV or she listens to a radio program. And I said, okay, if you watch TV, then uh, go to YouTube and look up Lighthouse Baptist Church. And she said, in San Antonio? I said, no, in Dickinson. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, here, I'm looking at it. It's got a big lighthouse. Up. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. So, you know, <coughs> she's, she's watching. If, if she's going to watch TV, if she's going to watch YouTube, I'd rather her watch something that is going to be beneficial to her than to watch junk. And, oh, yeah. you know, this church has a wonderful ministry. And, and a lot of people, we come to church, we, we're here. We're we're in the middle of it. But there's so many people out there that says, I remember some soul told me about this church. Yeah. So, you know, well, that's this, a, this ministry just keeps that's, on. That's exactly. It, beyond that's, these walls. That's exactly how I ended up visiting that Baptist church. A guy two years, maybe longer than before, had given me a tract at a tennis court. And I remembered it. I remember the name of the church. I looked it up. Showed up. You know the rest. Gilbert, he tried to use up all your time, but I'm going to give you some I'm anyway. Sorry, That's okay. <laughs> Sometimes uh, we have influences around us. Mm. And we get brainwashed in the makeup of myself, for instance. Uh, when you get born into Catholicism or being in the Catholic Church, and the Lord has a way to bring us, and the Word of God, in my case, brought me forward to identify with the matter. Even though sometimes uh, some of the things that we still do in the church are not in accordance, because, the, for instance, the Lord never gave up the Sabbath, but yet we turn it and honor it to Sunday, the day of the sun. And I don't criticize it. The fact is that we have, the Lord has chosen us, and he said, tells us, I will never leave you or forsake you. But the Word of God or the Bible cleanses us and makes us identify with who we are in relationship with Him and brings us forward to who we are in the present, no matter what happens. Just so you'll know, of all the folks that I've led to the Lord over the last 40-something years, and it's been pretty steady, but... Uh, if you if you want to get into religious backgrounds, Catholics are the easiest people to lead to Christ of all. The brainwash. Well, in a way, but they know things. There, there are things that they have to accept. The virgin birth of Christ. His, his crucifixion. There, there, there are a lot of things that are messed up, but there's enough that's not. That. It gives them a place to start. It's, it's strange, but it is what it is. One thing is you can remember and take from today, anything I can talk you into, somebody else can talk you out of. Amen. It's not about how good your, your witnessing is. It's salvations of the Lord. Don't forget it. Yeah. And he'll, he will do his job.